go again. Friday, time for Slater Pod. Hi, Esther. Hi, Florian. So, uh, another busy week. We have um, uh, to talk about uh, a few things that we had on the website that we're going to run through, but also an uh, announcement that just came out this morning that we're going to talk about. So, first, the announcement was by DeepL, and we're going to unpack this uh, in, in a second. Then there was an article we wrote about uh, UK, the gaming industry, and how the localization mm -hmm. people... Um, well, they, they surveyed lo localization people in about a dozen other categories. We're going to unpack that. Uh, the job index that we had, a couple of financial results in M&A, and then uh, something in Mexico around dubbing. So um, we're, uh, we're going into uh, you know, uh, an, an, a geography that we typically don't really cover or haven't covered mm. so much. So first, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, an announcement. Very pleased to uh, announce that uh, Zoo Digital, the media localization platform, uh, is our uh, diamond partner for SlaterCon London uh, Media and Gaming. That's the event on May 5th. And also very happy to have MemoQ on board as a, a gold partner for the same event also on May 5th. Of course, we have two events this time. We have the media and gaming event on May 5th and then uh, the tried and tested format SlaterCon on, on, on May 6th. So uh, really glad to have Zoo Digital and, and MemoQ on board. And a lot of exciting speaker announcements are following in the, in the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Um, definitely excited about that one. So, so Esther, when I uh, open up um, our uh, editorial tool this morning, uh, I, uh -huh. I, I looked at the headline that was something like... Uh, AI breakthrough by D. Bell. So I'm like, okay, let's oh, uh, wow. let's uh, analyze that. Let's look into that because the last time uh, that happened was somewhere in 2017, and that's where the whole D. Bell craze uh, started. So I was like, okay, well, okay, what are they announcing now? What's new? Yeah, what's new with D. Bell? <laughs> exactly, what's new with D. Bell? So just to recap, D. Bell's that uh, that uh, Germany-based uh, machine translation company that you know was uh, an Basically, uh, an offshoot of Lingui, the, uh, I don't know, what do you call that? The translation segmentation uh, um, uh, uh, website that, uh, uh -huh. and then they used all these highly curated sentences and, and built a neural network on top of it and started DeepL. And since then, DeepL has gone, gone on to become, I think in, in Switzerland, it's now among the top 20 websites visited. Of all the websites, yeah. So top twenty, that's yeah. crazy. So they, they must... Ev everybody in Germany and sort of German-speaking Europe knows all about it. I exactly. Um, so for it's, for it's major. Yeah, in Germany, I think they're around the top hundred and fifty. Uh, in Switzerland, again, it's top twenty. So this, you know, literally like Google, Facebook, Dbell. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's a crazy amount of traffic they're getting. Uh, not so not so much used in the United States. I'm not sure about mm -hmm. the UK. Do people talk about Dbell in the UK at all? Not particularly, no. Um, I mean, not day-to-day. -day. Obviously, language in industry professionals, yes. But day-to-day, -day, not so much, no. Just be the likes of Google Translate, I suppose. Th that is so interesting that like the mm. solution that you think would make sense immediately globally actually has a regional focus, right? Mm. Uh, so, well, I mean, I think as some of this is deliberate. I, I remember when somebody mentioned, I'm not sure if it was even DeepL themselves, that they don't really want to push too hard in the U.S. for now because of some, I don't know, legal issues or oh, certain okay. other corporate issues uh, that it probably, you know, it would be a different, on, on a corporate side, might be a little more difficult. But anyway, mm. so back to that supposed breakthrough. 
Um, it, it was interesting that they've been relatively quiet on the media front. They got a lot of free PR when they launched in 2017, you know, and, and people looked at it and felt that the quality for some of the core languages they delivered was actually superior to some of those, uh, you know, other uh, players out there like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, etc. Uh, so they got a lot mm -hmm. of PR for that. And, you know, traction has been amazing. They got uh, a major investment by Benchmark, which is one of the, I guess, probably top five, top 10 venture capital firms in the, in the Silicon Valley. So it's been all great for them. And they've been relatively quiet on the media front. Um, not too much posting and, and blogging and speaking. I don't think they've ever really spoken at a major conference, um, mm -hmm. as far as I remember. So, yeah, so this morning they uh, they said they had a, and not, they announced another breakthrough in AI translation quality, you know, using words such as the quantum leap in translation quality and that they're now yep. using neural networks that are far superior to previous technologies. Of course, you know, let's, okay, I had a look, right? I, I had to go in and, yeah. and check. Uh, they also the, the, did you test English to German then? Or? I, I tested I mean, English to German, right? Okay. Now, obviously, completely yeah. non-representative. But first, I I went through their blog post and they said that they blind tested like 119 passages. They called it lengthy passages. They asked professional translators uh, to evaluate, and you know, in a blind test, and surprise, you know, in two thirds of the cases or 60, 70 percent, they preferred DeepL over. I think they tested with Google, Amazon, and, and Microsoft. Uh, so yeah, mm. so I went in, I was like, in a sense, I was, I was excited. I was thinking, well, now you're sensing a, another major, major breakthrough in quality. Yeah. Um, what, what could it be? What could it be? Right. I mean, it was already pretty good, right? Yeah, it was pretty good, but there, there's just usual neural mistakes where like, sometimes it introduces yeah. words that don't really belong there or like it kind of falls mm. apart when the sentence is lengthy. Um, and, you know, this is a completely unscientific test, but I did run uh, a news article just before this podcast and I didn't mm -hmm. sense a major quality leap, frankly. I mean, it, so I tested it against Google Translate and SysTrans new, uh, new public MT engine, which actually you can select yeah. different, um, different verticals there as well, different mm. types of content domains. Didn't blow me away. The the new DeepL translation there was uh, in in the second sentences there was a major mistranslation. It basically introduced okay. a word that wasn't there in the original that made no sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it took basically the, the half of the sentence was completely mistranslated, right? So I don't know. Maybe it's the early innings of this particular rollout of this new neural network. But um, you know, as far as I can say. Now it uh, just completely anecdotal feedback, uh, no major breakthrough. Interesting is also that they're starting to use these types of words. It used to be more that yeah. Microsoft used to have these- Quite hy hyped up. Yeah, it used to have, Microsoft had a few of these, like, you know, now human level machine translation announcement a couple of years back. And, and now, you know, DeepL is coming out with words like breakthrough, quantum leap and far superior. I don't know. I think they have enough traction. I'm not sure why they need to uh, to announce it in, in that type of way. But uh, let's see. Mm -hmm. Definitely getting a lot of uh, traction here, as I said, in Switzerland, not just from a traffic point of view, but also on the corporate side. Uh, I think I did mention okay. in, a, in a previous podcast that the Swiss government bought like 2,000 licenses. And, uh, yeah. and that's a pretty good case study for them. So we shall see. But uh, so far... Uh, still the usual NMT errors, introducing words, sometimes breaking apart when it's a little too long, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. So you had a very 
On a very different note, you had a story this yep. week uh, about the UK gaming industry. What what happened there? Yeah, so this was an article that Marion published, I think, um, talking about a survey that had been carried out by a gaming association based in the UK called Yuki in collaboration with Sheffield University and also the Arts and Humanities Council in the UK. So this was a survey of the gaming industry and professionals working in the industry. So as you said, it broke down different employees into their different functions of which localization was one of these categories, albeit there wasn't a huge number of localization professionals compared to you know, maybe some other functions like development, et cetera. Um, I think overall localization professionals accounted for about 2% of the gaming workforce. And the sample the size was how big? Sample size, I think, was pretty pretty large um, in the thousands. Uh, okay, so even if it's two percent, we're still talking about like a hundred. We're still talking about a lot of pe- okay. yeah. We're still talking about a, a, a good sample, significant sample. Um, okay. But I mean, in- interestingly, localization professionals in the context of the gaming industry were were outliers in almost every category that the survey um, the survey questions pertain to so i mean the survey was looking at areas such as diversity both in terms of nationality and also in terms of ethnicity Uh, localization professionals perhaps unsurprisingly were the most diverse group of employees across nationalities and ethnicities um i mean probably not not surprising that's not surprising it, it is what we do um and then also on the gender um on the on the gender matrix it was the most gen- most balanced across the genders. So 46%, almost half uh, of localization employees in gaming are female, according to the survey in the UK. Uh, and it also had the fewest number of people who were self-reporting as anxious and depressed. So apparently localization professionals, at least in gaming, can't speak for other areas, but are um, least anxious and least depressed. Um, Is that because among, they're so Among sm- other colleagues. Okay. There, there was another one with the postgrad because they're so sm- <laughs> yeah so also best educated i suppose you uh-huh. could put it in that way uh in terms of uh, postgraduate degrees so the localization professionals in gaming in the uk had more postgraduate degrees that is or so more of them had postgraduate degrees i mean yeah, and 87 percent in total had 87 percent of localization professionals had either a bachelor's or a postgrad or both Okay, so the the least anxious, least depressed. Yeah. That's an interesting one, but I, it's almost like I don't know what to do with that. That's just like okay, yeah, sure. Twelve percent are depressed. Well, and, and 80, also it's self-reported, isn't yeah. it? It's not necessarily. Well, there was the writers. Really find out any other way? I think the writers were yeah. like almost half. So half of yeah. writers would report that they're anxious and depressed. I don't. Know. But th- this is. Okay, noted. Maybe it's job sa- maybe it's job satisfaction. Job satisfaction, and, and we're certainly looking forward to our media and gaming conference because it seems to be a happy bunch, right? Um, so yeah. That's 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 going to be fun. The post grad is interesting though. So, is that because you? I think if you're doing a translation or a localization degree, I think in the UK it's mm. mostly translation degrees. I think, th- I mean, you can't do this on a bachelor level, can you? It, mo- most of them are post grad. It, it might have changed. I, certainly, 
when I was at university, yeah, it was it was predominantly language study at undergrads. Obviously, you would have elements of translation within that, but in to, to specialize in either translation or interpreting, it was it tended to be um, a master's degree that you have to take that up. Yeah. Actually, I, I do know, I think at least one university in London that does translation at undergrad. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's probably typically you take a language degree as undergrad and then you want to go yeah. on into a translation field. I mean, my my time as well, obviously it's 15 years ago, but uh, it was mm. the same. It was, you know, you, you graduate in certain in a language and then you go on and do an MA in translation mm. or uh, interpreting. Interesting. Yeah, it was more than half that had a postgrad. It was far more than in any other job function. So definitely interesting stats. And thank you so much to the, what's it called? Yuki? for Yuki. Yuki, yes. UKIE. Yeah. UKIE for, for putting this together. Um, and then speaking about jobs, uh, we published our very own job index. How, how did that? Mm -hmm. I think there was a little dip in Jan and how was it in Feb? Yeah, so February, the job index seems to have recovered, rebounded to a new high, which is interesting. As you say, it dropped in January and... It had also dropped in January 2019, so last year, uh, and also rebounded in February. However, in, in 2019, it took six months or so mm -hmm. for, um, for the index to come back up to the levels pre-January. Uh, this year, not so. So February actually saw um, the, the job index climb to a new high. Um, so potentially an interesting trend to watch um, seasonal trends, I suppose. So it's now at more than 9% above um, the index when we started, which was July 2018. Mm. And I, I do remember, obviously, early days back in July 2018, August, when we were publishing the job index, we had sort of one, two, three data points on the chart. Uh, <laughs> so but obviously not starting out as a meaningful index, but now that we've got 20 or so months worth of data, it's actually interesting to see the development um, and and potentially some trends emerging as well. Yeah, yeah, we might have we might have spoken about it the last time we ran it uh, four weeks ago. Mm. I don't remember, but mm. I think that the way you compile this is like a mix between like LinkedIn job ads um, and and open positions and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, I think yeah, it's and, very and numbers and number in terms of numbers of people. Yeah, actually. numbers of people, yeah. numbers of profiles, numbers of job Correct. job openings for localization professionals, etc. So yeah, it's good. Worldwide, it seems to be yeah. bouncing back despite all the macro macroeconomic craziness that's going on uh, around the world. I think uh, overall, uh, at least our part of the economy is still holding up very, very well. So that's mm. interesting. Um, another um, result that came out was, you know, we always covered um, the results of a lot of these publicly listed companies. So yeah. this week it was uh, Straker's turn. Straker, the mm -hmm. uh, Straker translations, the New Zealand-based, Australia-listed uh, language service provider, uh, still relatively small. I think they're doing roughly. Let me read this off. There, they had, yeah, they're probably doing around close to twenty million dollars in revenue uh, for the year um, overall. But yeah, they reported on their uh, their third quarter. Uh, third quarter of their financial year, um, mm -hmm. and I think we spoke at length about this when before we published the article. They, they're using somewhat yeah. um, unusual metrics to report because usually you have the top line is revenue, and then the bottom line is something like earnings before interest. But they're using 
uh, what, what is it called? Uh, cash inflows and then for revenue. Yeah, cash. Yeah, and then cash outflow or I guess inflow for the uh, the bottom line, right? So mm. they had about 4.5 million US dollars in inflows, what you would call mm -hmm. revenue. Um, that was just 2% above uh, the same quarter a year ago. And then Uh, mm -hmm. They took a little bit of a loss at roughly two hundred thousand dollars in net cash outflow. But again, it's 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 kind of hard to compare. Maybe a or it's a different metric when you're comparing to the usual yeah. revenue metrics. Long story short, uh, they're growing at a leisurely pace, and 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 they're um, they're basically not fully profitable. They're basically a, a roughly around break yeah. even. So what was what was some of the reasons they gave for that? relative softness in in their third quarter oh you're testing my memory now <laughs> yeah why did they say why did they say it was flat um the enterprise aspect the enterprise that's right yes so they were talking i mean they've said for a few months um now when they've been reporting that they're trying to make a concerted effort to move away from the more transactional customers. So the sort of SEO generated personal customers, one-off type requests, and actually move more into longer lifecycle projects that come with enterprise customers. Mm. Um, so th this was their explanation in any case that um, apparently they, they'd closed a deal for something that was near what did they say near six figures near seven near six sorry seven figures yeah. yeah near seven figures in um in in new zealand dollars i think um yeah, in terms of contract value so potentially a bigger bigger contract value than the ones they might have been used to working with under the transactional customers um, but obviously um, because life cycles and projects take longer to complete potentially also although they didn't explicitly say this payment terms may be slightly longer for enterprise customers customers, uh, it potentially takes slightly longer time to actually show in mm. revenues. Yeah, it was an interesting was deal as well. One explanation. I think they said they opened an office in Burbank, California. Uh, you know, for, yeah. it was a media localization deal, dubbing, and so yeah. uh, no, it was subtitling. They said they were partnering with uh, on the dubbing side. So yes, yeah, yeah, they're also getting into you know the media localization space. We've spoken about this uh, a few times before. On this podcast, mm. but uh, yeah, it, it is one of the fast growing growing verticals, and and they're getting a piece of the action now. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean those those payment terms and just generally an enterprise sale is different, right? If you're coming from mm, a world yeah. where you're you're getting a lot of requests from the internet, like one offs, and you're you're in a position to just you know handle maybe a thousand or five hundred individual requests a day. And from individual payers, and you make sure that you're getting paid immediately upon delivery, or maybe even before you deliver. And now you're going into an enterprise cycle where you know you get you know a five hundred thousand, one million dollar project. Uh, you work on it, you spend all the money on on, on your resources, and then you collect maybe sixty yeah. days after the project's complete. That's a very very different yeah. uh, business, and that's uh, as you're transitioning, this is bound to have an impact uh, on them. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, let's see let's see how they go. Uh, it's they're obviously super transparent. They have to report every uh, every quarter. Every quarter, and, uh, yeah. You know, we're, we shall be on top of it. What we 
we missed the earnings call though. Uh, we they, they had a call with the analysts, but it's in a in a strange time zone, so we we didn't manage to listen in on that. But we'll, we'll... a strange time zone. <laughs> it's a strange... down under. <laughs> it's a, well, not not for Andrew. You know, our our co-founder oh, yeah. Andrew Smart. He's actually uh, in Sydney at the moment, so he could have uh, he could have okay. listened in, but uh, he was busy with some other stuff. So uh, we'll, we shall dial in next time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, staying with MediaLock, what would happen in Mexico? Yeah, interesting story emerging in Mexico, and it's not a market that we've particularly covered that much on Slater. Um, But yeah, dubbing and film dubbing in particular is at the center of a debate which has made it into, into Congress. This story was relating to a senator who presented an initiative about dubbing. So he's in the pro dubbing camp where he wants to see any foreign language film that comes into Mexico and shown in movie theaters be dubbed into Spanish as standard and also dubbed into at least one indigenous language. So he's obviously got the support of voice actors, dubbing actors, um, because that would generate quite a considerable amount of more more work, I imagine, for them. and obviously give a boost to the to the localization dubbing industry generally uh, in Mexico. Then it also does face some, some opposition, however, from m- people who are more on the motion picture side. So there's a motion picture academy in, in Mexico who are quite happy with what the current regulations and the current laws say around um, well, provision of subtitling or, or dubbing at the moment. So that the current laws say that foreign language films, i.e. if they're created in English or French or what have you, should be shown in their original language in, in Mexican theatres and they may be subtitled where appropriate. Mm. So there's not actually any specific requirements about providing um, lang- Spanish or any other language um, alongside the original. Um, There is mention of dubbing in the current laws, but actually dubbing is only suggested to be used for children's content or for educational content. And I think they are pretty happy with that. The the, the academy, they take maybe more of a purist stance where they say that actually any kind of changes to the original script, including actors' voices, is kind of a violation of the audience's right to consume content in the way it was intended. So I suppose it's sort of an artistic and creative point of view uh, where they want to preserve the original. Um, So not sure how this is going to play out, but obviously actors are in support of more dubbing equals more work for them. Um, And it's it's gone to the congressional session now. So I think one to watch over over the next few months or so. I think it's interesting because it's it's a cultural question. You know, I mean, I grew up on dub TV shows. Everything was dubbed Mm. into German, you know, Switzerland being, I'm, I'm from the German speaking part of Switzerland, and we watched all these German channels. And in Germany, dubbing has been historically, everything was dubbed, right? As opposed to, for example, mm. Scandinavia, where traditionally everything's been subtitled. That's why the Scandinavians speak flawless English, and we have to learn it under, uh, you know, <laughs> great pains in oh, school. Come on. <laughs> in school, right? Uh, so, it would be interesting if a country moved from a what appears in Mexico now a subtitling culture into a dubbing culture mm. because people 
Um, yeah, they react differently here. For, here in Switzerland, in the cinemas, it's typically subtitled. Uh, in in yeah. Switzerland, on TV, it's it's all it's it's dubbed, but on in the cinema, it's actually subtitled. But do so, you in yeah. in sub in cinemas do you have multiple tracks though? Because obviously Switzerland is a multilingual con- country. That's the reason. Are there multiple tracks for different languages? Well, that's the reason why it, it, it's subtitled as opposed to Germany, where yeah. everything's dubbed. Because in Germany, well. It's German, right? So, but if you roll yeah. out a film or if you maybe do the rights management for a film into Switzerland, well, we got the Italian yeah. and the French uh, uh, population, French-speaking population. Yeah. So uh, when you watch, it's typically in, uh, in German and, and French, the subtitles. Mm. Uh, but yeah. again, on TV, you watch German channels, everything's dubbed. Um, yeah. what, what about England? If you go to, in London, you go to the cinema, you watch a, a Mexican movie. Is it subtitled or yeah. dubbed? Yes. Subtitled. Yeah. We, we don't have dubbing particularly. Yeah. I, I, I can't speak for other people, but I think, uh, yeah, coming from a languages background, you don't, I don't know, I, I don't like to hear dub, dubbing personally. I think that might change. It doesn't feel as authentic. With, and if- with streaming, this whole culture might change a little bit because I think now there's yeah. a fair amount of demand for, you know, like Korean content, Asian content, generally yeah. this type of content into, into the US, right? Because Netflix is doing all these yeah. originals in in non-English speaking countries, uh, yeah. I I think they're going to dub some of that. So maybe they're... Yeah, be- and you know, what I have realized actually is that I'm perfectly happy to watch subtitles in languages that I feel familiar with. So, you know, French, Spanish, Italian, to a certain extent, um, I'm, I'm really happy to sit and read subtitles because I can actually... The sounds, the sound sound, the sound sound, the voices sound reasonably familiar to me but if it's a language which which is quite foreign literally foreign to me that I don't really have any experience of or exposure to it, it's more difficult to sit and read subtitles yeah, yeah that that's my that's my personal experience and I think in those instances you know if it's in Chinese Japanese or what have you um, I'd probably be more inclined to listen to a dub version to a dub version watch right. dub version yeah. yeah and now that we're getting uh machine dubbing with amazon mm. like we talked uh i think last time with the, 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 the in our previous podcast once <laughs> let's see how yeah. how that plays out eventually no but i think it's an interesting question and as content flows so much more internationally you know it used to be like almost yeah. like a one-way road like for like the average consumer just out of hollywood and then you know you either yeah. dub it or you subtitle it but now with uh with this content being created and shared through streaming much more much more globally uh you know mm-hmm. you know subtitling dubbing question will become uh yeah it's a, it's a bigger question maybe that's what triggered it in mexico right um we had uh just well, we had a, s- a small M and A transaction. Maybe just broach this briefly. A, a Swiss uh, German-based company called Apostroph Group acquired a, a Swiss um, small LSP. Uh, we we covered it. Uh, you know, there's been a few deals, but that's I think no. There's a, there's probably a fair amount of deals in the pipeline, but so far this year mm-hmm. hasn't been super strong. In terms of deals, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Had three, three. This was the fourth one, I think, that we've tracked so far this was in, the fourth in 2020. One. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the only, the only real significant one, I suppose, would be the AMN Healthcare and Stratus that we you're discussed last week. You're right. You're right. We spoke about that. Yeah. yeah. That was that was a big one. That, that's it's ongoing. It's ongoing, though. So technically not, not completed. But yeah. 
yeah, we wrote a big piece about it and uh, published mm-hmm. it. That was Seema. Uh, you know, as I said in the last podcast, she's based in the US, so she did a real deep dive. That's available to our uh, Slater Pro subscribers. So anybody who has a subscription, you know, go read it. Anybody who doesn't, make sure you subscribe to that service. It's uh, definitely a lot of value for money because uh, the, there's yeah. a lot of interesting content that we're publishing under, under the Slater Pro subscription. Great. Well, on that note, uh, sending my greetings up to London and uh, looking forward yes. to chatting back next at week. you. <laughs> all right. Take yep. Care. All right. Take care. Bye bye.